Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha, I'm so happy to come to you today, and I think you're really going to love our guest, Pete. He's uh, very enthusiastic about what he does, and I am too. So, <laughs> Pete, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do with the Genwell Project? Hi, uh, Emily. Thank you so much. And I will apologize. I've got a little bit of a cold or flu right now, so my voice may not be so, uh, may not be the sweet sounds of uh, my normal voice, but uh, I'll get through it today. Um, my name is Pete Bombacci, and I'm the founder of the Genwell Project. We're a human connection movement whose mission is to make the world a happier and healthier place by educating, empowering, and catalyzing people around the importance of face-to-face social connection for our happiness, our health, our longevity, and frankly, for the betterment of society. And we do that in classrooms, workplaces, and communities across Canada. And we certainly do a lot of work around the world as we work to educate and empower everyone to be part of the solution to the disconnected world that we find ourselves in. Well, talk about something the world needs now. Mm. It's uh, We need more of that sort of thing in society. I, I know a lot of what I do with my work is, is encouraging uh, happiness and talking to people about it's okay to be happy. A lot of times people feel, I think, a little um, guilty about feeling happy when things are going wrong in the world. Do you find that? Yeah, there's no question. I think I had this conversation with somebody last week where I still think there's a bit of um, a negativity to the word happiness. And I don't understand why we have to all feel like we're not allowed to be happy. And as you know, uh, Emily, you know, being happy doesn't mean you're always happy. It's not walking around unconscious of what's going on around you around the world. But it is knowing what you need to do in order to put yourself in a happy place or a happy state. And so, you know, a big part of that is we know that social connection is the single greatest contributor to our happiness. And yet I believe that most people haven't been educated on it. So maybe if we educate people on some of these strategies, maybe we can also give people permission to accept that it's okay to be happy, even if there are challenges happening around the world, as you say. Oh, yeah, that that just is the way it is. I find people, since I, I deal with grief, people go, well, how can you grieve and be happy at the same time? And it's two two separate things, you know. Uh, you're not happy that your loved one died, but you're happy that you've got today and you've got your life to live now. And there are there are things to be happy about. You don't have to be happy about everything in the world. Just, uh, but you can. The more happy the time you spend happy, the happier you'll be ultimately, which raises the vibration of the people who are around you. Well, that there's that famous quote, I don't even know who said it, which I think is something along the lines of don't cry because it's over, you know, smile because it happened. That's and, right. You know, whether that's relationship, whether that's loved one, you know, so many ways in which we can get a job, so many ways in which we deal with loss in our lives. But, you know, everything is a lesson. You know, if you can put it into those terms as well, that's how we grow as human beings. Um, How did you get into doing this? What started this? 
Yeah, really, um, there's lots of things that kind of combine. First off, I think I'm a pretty social animal who needed um, human connection throughout the course of my life, you know, dealing with some, you know, losing my dad as a kid. I knew that people were kind of how I coped uh, through that uh, early loss. Um, but I also worked in the beverage alcohol industry. I ran a, another organization called Movember Canada, which was a mustache charity that um, uh, was for men's health. And through everything that I've done in my career, I recognize that people are happiest when they're with other people. And I thought, I wonder if there's something to this. And then when I did the research, I realized, oh my gosh, the research is actually quite overwhelming that human connection is one of the greatest things we can do for our happiness, our health, our longevity, you know, obviously for other people, whether that's political polarization, you know, cultural segmentation, you know, the more time we spend with other people, the more connected we become because we begin to be empathetic and compassionate towards them. But there was one catalytic moment on top of all that, and that was the blackout that happened in 2003 on the northeastern uh, quarter of, of North America. And what happened that day was initially during a blackout, it was 50 million people. It was New York, Toronto, where I am, all lost power. And for some people, it was anywhere from two to seven days. Mm. And what you saw was the beauty of the human species in times of crisis. Everybody was helping people. They were checking in on their neighbors, checking in on seniors, checking in on everybody, offering I saw people giving lifts on street corners, which just doesn't happen in the big city anymore. And that evening, I went to a friend's barbecue that started with two and that became four and 10 and 20 people. And at about nine o'clock at night, I walked out on the street after seeing that the street was filled with people, bicycles, footballs, drinks, hot dogs. People were just having a good old time. And I assumed as I walked out to that street that everybody knew each other because it was obviously all the members of that street. And I walked out to the street and I said, hey, this is really cool that you guys all know each other. And they all looked at me and, you know, simultaneously shook their heads and said, but we don't know each other. Wow. And I thought, wow, how crazy is this that it takes a crisis for us to actually talk to our neighbor? And that happened in workplaces, that happened in classrooms, that happened everywhere across this country and around the world. When we go through crisis, we are more open to helping other people, to connecting with other people, because we're dealing with the fundamentals of life called life and death, food, water, shelter, safety, security. And so I just thought to myself, what, what could we do to create, you know, initially it was around two weekends a year, but what could we do to help people create these occasions without needing to have a crisis? Because we know that if we build these relationships proactively, that as we've talked about already, it makes us happier, healthier, you know, stronger communities, safer communities, so many benefits that come from a more connected world. And yet pre-pandemic, you know, pre-blackout, when I, when I first witnessed it, it was like, well, we're not doing it. And frankly, the research shows we're doing it less than ever before. That's really interesting. I, I you caused me to think about other times when I've seen things happen kind of like that. An example for me would be here in Hawaii. I don't remember how many years ago it was, but we had that um, nuclear scare where we got the, the big announcement that this was not a drill, that the yeah. bombs were coming in. And it, at first I thought, well, 
we don't need to panic because we can't do anything about it anyway. So yeah. the the people around me just kind of came together and we sat through it until we heard the news that it wasn't exactly right. But we, we had a special kind of bonding during that time when just neighbors came together and it felt really good. And it I think it changed our relationships kind of fundamentally that, that we knew that we were there for each other. Whatever happened, we were there for each other. Yeah, I think we see it repeatedly. Um, you know, there's been hurricanes on the East Coast. There's hurricanes every year. We know there's hurricane season. I know on the East Coast of Canada and North America, there was a big hurricane just recently. And I saw some interviews on the media. And it was amazing to me the number of people who said, oh, it was so great to meet my neighbor next door as we pulled a tree off of our garage. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, again, why does it take a crisis? for us to actually get to connect with our neighbor. And so, you know, let's let's hope as we educate people more about the importance of human connection for all the benefits that it brings, that in time we give people permission and we create the excuses and the opportunities for them to do it, which is what Genwell was originally founded on. We had two weekends a year, one in the spring, one in the fall, because uh, research suggests that those are the two times of the year, seasonal transition, when people struggle. So in the in the spring, we come out of the darker, colder days of the winter. And therefore, you know, giving people the opportunity to get reconnected is really important. It's actually the highest suicide rate time of the year is mm-hmm. the springtime. Many people think it's the winter and it's not. And part of the reason that they attribute it to is the, the social pressures that come as we are supposed to be coming out of our homes and getting reconnected. But if you've had you know, a divorce, a job loss, financial pressure, kid pressure, a pandemic that's kept you locked down for two years. And now you're expected just to snap back to it and get back out to the the patio party and the street party and all those things. We need to recognize that, you know, everybody's different. And this two and a half year period, and it's still not over. This is changing people's lives forever. And we just did a study that showed more people are de- declaring themselves either introverted, shy, or socially anxious. And so we need to realize that when we have taken people out of the habit and routine of connecting on a regular basis, it's going to have longer term consequences. And we all just need to be supportive of people as we come out of this pandemic. That's right. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm The Grief and Happiness Alliance that I facilitate has a nonprofit organization that funds the the alliance so that people don't have to pay to get help with with their dealing with grief and one of the things that they do or actually it's two things they have a, a an event twice a year and it's on the equinox which is uh when when fall turns to winter and and when yep. winter turns to spring now summer summer turns sorry summer turns to fall and then winter turns to spring on on the that day when when the light and dark is is equal, yeah. And it it just seemed like a we we didn't quite know why we were choosing those days when we started out, but it just seemed like a logical time to do it. And now listening to you, I thought well, that's why we do it because that is a, a transition time. Yeah, and the and the fall is no different. Suicide rates aren't as high. But it is a difficult time. We come off the warmer, longer, bright days of summer and you transition and many people, kids go back to school, work ramps up again because now everybody's back in the office. 
And you can start to see why the pressures might start building on people and why we might struggle as we go through that time. And I think, too, the fact that we're hearing more now, I think a lot because of social media, we're hearing about when things are going on. And we we heard about like the the young kids that were committing suicide like crazy at the beginning of the pandemic. I, it was just shocking how many of it did it because they just couldn't deal with not having that human interaction. Yeah, and I had lots of uh, parents coming to me and families coming to me at, at that point. I, I I do find it amazing. At the start of the pandemic, everybody thought social isolation and loneliness was a was a seniors issue and that was the only people who dealt with it. Mm-hmm. But I think we've awoken the world to this is an everybody issue from CEOs to new moms to kids to seniors and everybody in between. And it happens for so many different reasons. For some people, it is about the physical lack of presence of people. But the other phrase, the other term I think we all need to be much more conscious of is that sense of belonging. You know, Mm -hmm. and recognizing that you can be in a crowd, you can be surrounded by a thousand people, and you can still feel like you don't belong. And it's that sense of belonging, which, you know, can have the same negative impact of being completely isolated from people. And so if we coach people, we educate people on what that might be like, and everybody's had a taste of what social isolation, disconnection, and loneliness might be like during the pandemic, because we were all pulled out of our normal habits and routines of connection. So hopefully on the other side of this, Emily, we'll find people being more empathetic and compassionate to everybody that we come across. Although I will say, it does seem, I don't know if you're seeing it where you are, I feel like we've ramped the world back up faster and quicker than ever before And I'm sure, you know, a lot of it has to do with businesses had to get back up and running. We had to generate the economy again because obviously that was in disarray. But geez, it does scare me to see how quickly we've ramped up to maybe even faster than it was before we went into the global pandemic. That's true. But I I see uh, people kind of coming together on it. They've been so creative. People are doing things that they never did before. They're they're not going back to the same old job that they really weren't interested in because they had to figure out how to do something different during the pandemic and they got creative. Mm. And I've seen some really neat things come out of that. And I, I think if if we all would recognize our creativity more, boy, wouldn't that be spectacular? Because the, the creativity of people is amazing. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you look at you know, some of the great creatives of our uh, in history, a lot of it came out of crisis because we had to go and find other ways to either distract ourselves, generate income, you know, so many ways you can look at it. So I think um, I think um, there certainly have been some people who have embraced this and 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 found their new way of working. But I think at the same time, as I say, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be a pessimist, I'm a I'm an optimist at heart. But I think there's still a lot of people out there that are uh, trying to figure out what does the future look like with rising inflation, with mortgage prices, with jobs that either take up too much time or don't pay enough or both. Um, it's a it's a challenging time out there. And again, it's 
you know, my movement wasn't about, you know, going through a crisis when we built it in 2016. It was about helping individuals through, you know, the day to day through just understanding. But as we go into what lies ahead, I think the message and the movement uh, are even more important because we're going through challenging times and recognizing, hey, it takes takes a village to do far more than just raise kids. It takes a village to get us through recessions and inflation and mortgage costs and all the other things that go along with it. That's true. And and so many of us don't know how to reach out or or what what to do or who to find or they they're just kind of um lost in in the situation. I know when uh I I've had two husbands die and the second one who died was here on Maui. We came here 2 years before he died because this is where he wanted to be. He'd lived here before and that was it was like coming home to him where he wanted to be. And so with those two years, we spent most of our time together and we I didn't really get to know that many people here. So when he was gone, I thought, wow, I'm I'm really isolated in the most remote part in the world, you know, because <laughs> Hawaii is just in this little speck out in the middle of this giant ocean. And I thought, OK, I can sit around and feel sorry for myself or I can figure out what to do about it. But a lot of people can't figure out what to do about it. I know when when my other husband died, I, I was really kind of lost and I had all kinds of people around me. But the, the next time I had enough experience to know that I needed to not be sitting by myself. And, and that's the reason that, that uh, I started the work that, that I'm doing, why I wrote my book. I'm taught people, I'm a writer. Besides writing my book, I've taught writing at the university level for many years. And I thought I need to, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm going to write about it. And the more I wrote, the better I felt because I was finding these cool things to write about. And then I thought I need to show other people who are grieving how to do that. And I I just put an ad, not an ad, but an invitation on Meetup and total strangers came over to my house and we bonded and everybody was looking for somebody that got them, you know, got the experience. Uh, a lot of times our family or our close people that we're close to don't know what to do. And so they they really back off. That That happens more often than anything else. And people grieving find themselves by themselves. So being able to come together with people you don't know, it created a, a beautiful bond. And it, it led to the alliance that I do now. I've got people that come from all over the world. And I'll probably never see these people in person. But boy, we have sweet relationships and can support each other. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it is amazing. I was reading some stuff on talking to strangers the other day, Dr. Gillian Sandstrom out of the U, um, UK. And certainly, you know, the opportunity to connect with people that you may never see, but can give you great support and who can be there for you in your time of need. It's amazing what we can do for each other as human beings. But we need, you know, as you talked about it, uh, Emily, you know, somebody has to go first. Mm -hmm. And I think right now we need leadership from everybody. If you feel confident enough to send out that invite to get some people together, whether it's on meetup.com, whether it's sending it out to your neighbors, whether it's having a barbecue at the workplace, every one of us has an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of ourselves and our and friends and family and colleagues and everybody else around us. And I think we got into the habit, be, even before the pandemic, 
we were so caught up in running and racing around in our busy days that most of us didn't make time to spend with the people who research now shows makes us happier and healthier, but we weren't doing enough of it. And so hopefully the pandemic was a wake up call because ultimately it ripped all of those relationships. Many of them I would call casual relationships. It ripped them out of our lives. And now surprise, surprise, many people don't feel as socially supported or socially healthy as they did before the pandemic. That's true. And I, I think a lot of it is as fear of, you know, how do, how do I get supported? How do I find somebody? We're, we're so geared to, you know, pay a therapist or pay a counselor or that yeah, sort so of a true. thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, email a friend or, or invite somebody out for coffee. I've, I've had a couple of really neat experiences here on the island where somebody I didn't know invited me out for coffee because they were kind of interested in what I was doing. And and when I talked to them, I realized I was interested in what they were doing. And it was just out of the blue. And I, I don't recall experiences like that when I lived on the mainland, but that sort of thing happens here. Mm. And it it just, it felt really good. We, I could sit there and talk to a stranger or with, not to, with a stranger for a couple of hours. And, and we both left just feeling better. And it's not like we had to make a lifelong friendship. It was just being able to communicate and be face-to-face with someone. Well, I think what you're doing, Emily, is you are putting yourself out there, you know, with your book and with your, your group, is you're letting people know you're okay to connect. And I think that's probably one of the greatest things that we can do for people is to let them know that we are here, non-judgmental, and that we're open to learning about each other because that is how we grow as human beings. And it's how we grow, uh, we heal the divide that we have in society is that we be open to those conversations. And, and I will say at the same time, oftentimes I, I, I get challenged by people who put on their Facebook page or whatever they're going to like, I'm always open to connecting, you know, just give me a call and I'll connect. If you feel like that, because I think that that's only a half, half effort to build connection rather than posting to the world that everything's good in your world and you're open to connecting, find one person to send a note to and say, Hey, Emily, I was thinking about you. Would you like to have a coffee? Because I think too often times we think it's about just throwing the the doors open and saying, hey, I'm here if you need me. But as you said, it's still difficult for a lot of people to reach out, especially if, you know, if your feed for the last three years has been, I've been living, you know, the human highlight real life with new cars and new homes and I've got a great job and my family's perfect. And then you say, hey, I'm always here if you need to talk to me. You know, for a lot of people, that will be overwhelming and intimidating. And so, you know, if we really do want to make that effort to help people, I think a simple act of, you know, reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I was thinking about you. Would you feel like a coffee or do you want to go for lunch or whatever the case may be? Could probably do more help than just posting that generic message. Absolutely. I, I know I hear from people who are dealing with grief all the time that that one of the things that they just have a really hard time with is when somebody says, just let me know what you need. Well, they're not going to, if they knew what they needed, they'd take care of it or they, you know, they'd figure something out, but people who are grieving are are not going to call you. And I had a situation when, when one of my husbands had 
could not be left alone. I, I was caring for him and he couldn't be left alone. And we went out, ran out of groceries in the house. And it was it was before there were the food deliveries like we developed during the pandemic. And I didn't have any way to get food at the house. I couldn't leave him. It, it's not that I couldn't afford it. I couldn't go to the store. And so I thought, who's told me? Who said, I'm, I'm here for you. Just give me a call. I can't tell you how many people I called and nobody answered the phone. Gee. And it was like, really? You know, don't ever tell me again. <laughs> Just let me know if you need anything because I really tried and, and it didn't work. So uh, be proactive. If we could all be proactive in making these connections, it would make all the difference in the world. And there is a great uh, study. It's actually Dr. Robin Dunbar. He's out of the UK. And he says that the magic number is, I think it's four and five. If you have four to five close friends that you can go to in time of crisis, that that should put you in a good place to manage through any of the ups and downs that you have. I think in the recent study that I saw out of the U.S., the most common answer to how many close friends do you have is zero. And mm -hmm. so we have a long way to go. But even having one or two people, and I think really, and I'm answering some questions for another interview uh, just before I got on here, what is friendship? What's a close friendship? And without question, the number one thing is time. It's like you need to spend time together. You can't just show up, you know, once every six months and, and expect that you're going to build a meaningful connection. You got to check in. You got to ask how their family's doing. What's going on? How can I support you? All those little things go a long way to building those relationships so that we don't get to the crisis and then start looking around to try and figure out who's going to be there for us when, when things go sideways. So I think it's really important for people to get an understanding of how to build those friendships and then just recognizing what Robin Dunbar says is, look, when you have one person, and your example is a good one, Emily, you call that one person, they might be busy. They might be going through a crisis themselves. They might be out of town. Their cell phone might be off. You know, it's a reason why even in the um, Alcoholics Anonymous, I think their magic number is three. They want to hook you up with three buddies. And so, you know, why is that? It's because when you make that first phone call and the person doesn't answer, that there's another phone number for you to call in that time of need. And I think that's the type of insight that we can all benefit from so that we set ourselves up for success as we move forward. It, it's so important. I know um, I've lived in several different places throughout my life, and this is the first time in my life that I'm close to my neighbors. And I always tried. I'd always bake them cookies at Christmas, and they, they'd look at me funny when I took them to their door, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to get you something and didn't have anything to do with that. I was just trying to extend friendship, and, and it just never happened until I moved here. And here, it's so cool. We just kind of go in and out of each other's houses. If, if somebody makes cooks something that's really good, we're likely to take it to another neighbor and say, here, try this. And I just taught one of my neighbors how to, to make this new way of making bread that's so exciting. I taught her how to do it the other day, and she was so excited. And we all just were, you know, happy. And it it just, it feels good to have that mm -hmm. human connection. And I'm so grateful at this point in my life, it's when it's finally starting, you know, so that I can really enjoy it now. And it it encourages me to tell other people how good it is and encourage them to be friendly. 
Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, even as I listen to you, Emily, it, it makes me smile as I listen to you talk about the community that you got there. And there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, the work we're doing at Genwell, trying to educate, you know, the world about the importance of human connection for happiness, health, longevity, and all those things that I keep mentioning. You know, I think we've, we've kind of, I won't even say we've educated, but we've almost told people that they shouldn't, 50% of Canadians and Americans didn't know their next door neighbor's name before the global pandemic. How did we get into a situation where when you live, you know, geographically right beside somebody, you come out of that house every day that you can get to a situation where you don't have some, I'm not telling you, you need to be best friends, Mm -hmm. but at least say hello in the morning. How's your day? How are the kids? What's going on? I think every one of us has an opportunity to make a difference in our own lives and others through those simple uh, acts. And yet we've never educated people on the benefits. We've really never talked about building connection, you know, other than networking for business to get ahead it was always focused on the the business side of things. And I think we really need to get back down to, you know, the human innate need we have as human beings for connection and recognize if everything else goes sideways on you, if you lose your job, your wife leaves you or your husband leaves you, you know, when you've got a community of people around you, you'll be able to get through it. But when you're alone and those things happen, it becomes pretty daunting. It, it really does. And we just need to to try. Yeah, you're you know, right. we just we need to to uh, reach out. I, I remember when oh, many years ago, you can tell by the the song I'm going to mention. <laughs> my mom was in charge of something that needed a theme, and they had a contest to get people to submit uh, the the theme for it. And they'd always had response every year. And this one year, they didn't have any response. And she called me, she goes, what am I going to do? And I said, well, how about that song that's popular right now? What the world needs now. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. And I, I, you know, I think of that. And if we could just um, love each other, you know, and in good positive ways and and support each other and smile for Pete's sake. You know, so many people don't even know how to smile anymore. I think Burt Bacharach and I think it was Dionne Warwick. Were they mm-hmm. the two people that sang that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'd be proud that they're being mentioned today, probably 50, 60 years later, because I couldn't agree with you more. If we had more, you know, what do you call love or empathy and compassion for one another? If we actually took the time to understand the challenges that each one of us faced and how we might be able to help each other so that it, we create a win-win situation versus a win-loss situation, I think the world would be a far better place. But, you know, I did a podcast recently and I said, look, at a time when we need great leadership, you know, from our politicians, you know, and it's not just down south of the border, it's up here as well. Our politicians aren't leading by example. We have so much bickering going on. We find people that can't agree on anything and yet we expect human beings to, to to do it. So, hey, why don't we all recognize that we need to do this? And starting at the top, let's show people that we can get along, that we can find uh, a common place, because I know the world will be a better place for it if we can start finding those common. There's much more that makes us similar than there is that makes us different. So, Oh, that's right. 
Well, let's just make that a goal of our podcast today is for everybody who's listening today, do something, <laughs> smile at somebody, email somebody, pick up the phone, go next door, but do do something positive today to connect with somebody and then keep doing it afterwards. What a beautiful thought. So thank you so much for being here today. I just really enjoyed this conversation and I, I know that we're going to brighten a lot of lives with uh, this wonderful positive attitude that, that really can change the world. Yeah, thank you, Emily. And thank you for letting us share it with your community because, you know, the work you do in helping people overcome their grief, whatever that situation may be, uh, the root of it is having that supportive network there. But even before we go through the grief, as you talked about from a prevention lens, let's all build healthier connection habits starting today with that one action. Who's that one more person that you can call, that you can say hello to, that you can reach out and buy a coffee, pay it forward if you know that's something that can certainly create a connection and a bond with other people. So much we can do, and yet you know uh, we're just starting to build this groundswell of support for the simple act of, hey, let's build some human connection back into the world. Oh, that's right. Wow. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, to my listeners, I'm so glad that you're listening to this because we can change the world. We really can if we just um, do take action today. So I'm glad you were here today and I'll be glad to see you next week when you come back. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.